Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 1030 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his word to life. And now for our speaker. Now, by the time we get to Matthew chapter 5, when we were to actually read through that and we, we get to that point in the scripture, you see, what we'll be reading is that word has finally started spreading, that Jesus was going to be in town, that he was in the neck of the woods. And so a large crowd gathered in order to hear this so-called miracle worker come and speak. Now, by this time, by the time that we get to Matthew 5, Jesus was only starting his ministry. And his name was actually still new for some to hear. It wasn't maybe as common as it is for you and me today. And so as the crowd gathered and they found their places, there maybe on the side of a hill or a mountain perhaps, but they gathered around. It was a big crowd. And they started to settle down. And as they did, Jesus did something that the crowd may have been confused about or at least taken back by. Maybe they weren't expecting to see this. You see, Jesus, in front of the large crowd, he went to the fronts of the crowd. The scripture says he went to the fronts of the crowd and he sat down with all eyes on him. Hmm. He most likely sat down on a stump or, or something that propped him up a little higher so he's not on the ground, but he's, he just sat down in front of this large crowd. And you see, at, at this point in time in first century Israel, Sitting in front of a crowd like that was reserved only for one type of person. It was a rabbi's position. Sitting was a sign of positional authority. This was so that the rabbi's students could quite literally sit at their feet so they can teach them the word of the Lord. And so the people who made up the crowd on that particular day would have understood this. They would have, they would have got that. I see, and in fact, I can almost probably hear in my own self, my own mind, just the crowd whispering among themselves, maybe asking themselves, are we sitting in front of a rabbi right now? Is this, I mean, this can't be so. I haven't been called into the priesthood. I, I haven't got those magic words, follow me. I'm just a normal guy. I just have a normal job. And they're just probably confused. But the scripture says they leaned in and the crowd started to quiet down. And then in front of the crowd, Jesus begins to speak. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will 
be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And listen, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the crowd is taken back by these words. I mean, he speaks to the crowd with such authority, and they're taken back by it. In fact, he speaks as if he knows the Father personally. He speaks to the crowd about the laws. He goes and continues to speak on about the laws in a way that makes it sound like that he was there when they were written. And then he brings up one specific law, one that is as old as Moses himself. And he says to the crowd, you have heard it said, do not murder. For anyone who does will be subject to judgment. But I tell you today that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to the same judgment. Therefore, if you are offering your gift to the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and be reconciled with your brother. Then come and bring your gift. And then Jesus just continues to preach. He preaches about adultery and divorce, love for enemies, giving to the needy, praying, fasting, and he preaches about so much more. I mean, the crowds have never heard any teacher of the law speak the way that Jesus did on that day. The day now known as the Sermon on the Mount. Let's pray. Father, we just pray now that as we dive into your word, into your scripture, God, I just pray that your clarity is upon us. Lord, your spirit move on us. Father, I pray there's anything that I say that is not of gospel truth, but it's not, it's not from you, Lord. I pray that you wipe it away from my lips. They got to only speak your truth. And now, Lord, allow me to, Father, teach in a way that we can understand what it is that you want us to do when we walk out these doors. So, Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. It's been a great day today, hasn't it? I oh, know. We're so lucky to have you all on our team. So lucky. And I'm so lucky, and I speak, I know my wife had mentioned this already, I'm lucky to not be moving. Yes, and my wife. I heard she's staying too. <laughs> but I assure you, when, when those bulletins were posted, my wife and I were literally praying and giving thanks to the Lord that we're able to be here with your as your pastors for even longer. Well, we're continuing our study in the book of Ephesians. If you recall, this last Sunday, we, we, uh, we started a new series. We came out of Easter, and we're going to spend the next few weeks just looking into the book of Ephesians. Now, if you were with us last week, you would have kind of recalled that Captain started in a weird place. We're going to look into the book of Ephesians, but we're not going to open that book 
Instead, we went to Acts. And we spent the entire just Sunday just looking through at the actual accounts where Paul visits the city of Ephesus, his actual time in that city. And we went through those accounts. And in fact, we read that the believers in Ephesus, they received the Holy Spirit. And they started to do remarkable things, is what we read throughout the book of Acts. We read this when he was there. We read that uh, they, they started to heal the sick, that they were casting out demons, and that they spoke in tongues. I mean, it was evident that the Spirit was on them. I mean, these are the things that, the, that even in, in the Gospels, it says, here's how you'll know they're my people. And they were doing them. The Spirit was on them. Now, Paul left Ephesus, and he, and he continued, of course, to plant other churches, but we can read that he was there for three years, three years in Ephesus. That was a long time. In fact, one of the longest of any of his stops is in, this, is in the city of Ephesus, just teaching and engraving into the word of the Lord into these people. And then now here we read that he's moved on, but he has never forgot about his brothers and sisters in Ephesus. And so he wrote a letter to them, a letter that we call Ephesians. Now, unlike Paul's other letters, he wrote this letter, Ephesians, not to correct something. In fact, if you were to read the other letters that we find in the New Testament, it's usually Paul having to make a correction. Listen, you, you, not quite. Let, let me show. This is what. This is how he, he's correcting something that maybe they got off mission or off track, or perhaps what was happening a lot in the early church was that they were still struggling with that, well, my identity is here, but now my, now my identity is in Christ. And they were trying to balance, well, let's, let's do Christ, but let's sprinkle in some of this. And that's when Paul had to write these, hold on, <laughs> no, we can't do it, we can't bring that, no, 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 no. And so that's a lot of it. But Ephesians, we don't get any of that. There's no correction in the book of Ephesians. In fact, all we read in Ephesians is keep it going. Keep it up. I'm proud of you. You're doing the right thing. And we just keep reading positive affirmation. Now, I, I don't, I mean, there's nothing written about this, but I have to wonder, I have to think. Is it probably because he was there for three years helping establish the leadership, planting it down, saying, you know, well, they, they kind of hashed out all those other things already. And so they were able to keep on mission, keep on, I don't know, perhaps. But we know that in Ephesians, there's no, there's no major correction. It's just, it's just positive. It's just keep it going. And then here's some more stuff. Here's some more things to know. And in fact, when we read the first chapter of Ephesians, the whole entire first chapter is just him commending them. Him just praising them. In fact, he writes, I have heard about your faith. I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. And I have not stopped giving thanks for you remembering you in my prayers. And then the rest of the first chapter is just him praying God's wisdom and revelation over them. And that's the first chapter. But then Paul reveals something else in the second chapter. He, he, he really starts to reveal his heart to them. He wants to go into a, maybe a certain subject, even though it's not a correction, but I, really, I need you to hear this. And that's the second chapter. And in fact, he spends a great deal on this chapter speaking on where they, Gentiles, where they fit into the church. Where do they fit? I mean, Jesus 
was Jewish. The first disciples were Jewish. Salvation comes from the Jews. So where do Gentiles, non-Jews, fit in? Where do they fit into this church? And this, I'm going to tell you, this weighs heavily on Paul's heart. He spends a lot of time on this subject. And in fact, the Ephesians themselves even started asking these questions. But where do we, where do we fit in? How is this? Where? And so the second chapter is him answering that question. I mean, here it says, as any good leader. I mean, really, when I think about Paul, I think about his leadership skills, right? And I don't, I mean, I, I could imagine, uh, you know, maybe a little tough. He's on the road a lot. I mean, it sounds like a divisional officer a little bit, maybe going around from city to city, but his leadership skills, you know, were, were tuned in to the point where, as in any good leader, what he started to do immediately is take the two separate parties and find common ground. As you all know, the Gentiles and the Jews, but we find common ground. And so he actually says here, and he reminds them that regardless of Jew or Gentile, we are all dead without Christ. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. We're all dead. We were all dead before Christ. And then he speaks directly to them. He tells them that when they, when they, the Ephesians, when they had followed the ways of the world, they, he remembers when they arrived, he says they were filled with, with anger and lust and pride. They were filled with themselves. But because of God's great love for them, a love that is greater than their nationality, greater than their skin color, greater than their political party or their gender, greater than any of these things. He says that the love God has is greater than anything the world can offer because his love is everlasting. And then Paul comforts them. He comforts them and says that this love, this type of love is an is, is an act of grace. It's an act of grace. It's not something you worked for, something you put in hours for, leadership development for. Nothing. It was just an act of grace. It's just there. This isn't something that can be earned or worked toward. It's just freely given. And so Paul's telling them that, that because they are Gentile, because they are Gentiles. You don't have to work harder to be a part of the family. You don't have to work harder. You don't have to overcome that to be in God's family. They don't have to prove themselves to earn a seat at God's table. This is what Paul said. You need to knock it off, Gentile or Jew. None of that matters to him. You don't have to overcome that. You don't have to work through that to have a seat at God's table. I mean, here, like, there, this still happens today, I think. That there are groups today that will tell you that only a certain type of people or a certain number of people or a certain type of skin color. Or hey, I've even been approached by a street preacher and I was told that the kingdom of heaven are not for people like me. And let me assure you that the cross was for and is for anyone who believes anyone we are all one in christ when there's division in the church when there's division in the church it's not because of him it's because of us 
We're dividing it. He's grace and love. We pick and choose. It's because of us. Now, you may have already kind of picked up a theme already in the service, and what a great job our songsters did, singing that peace, that unity. This is, this is the church. This is the kingdom of God. And so Paul tells them, and I like this because, well, I'm a Gentile. <laughs> Paul tells them that you may have been born a Gentile, separate. He writes, you may have been separated from Israel and its covenants to God. But now, in Christ Jesus, you have been brought near. He says, you're one of us. And we are one of you. And Paul says that Christ has made the two one. Christ has overcome. He has overcome the dividing wall of hostility. In the kingdom, and hear me now, in the kingdom of God, there is no Samaria where we have to walk around to avoid those people. That's not in the kingdom. Because if we remember, when we read the scripture, it was those people that Christ revealed himself to first before the Jews. At the cross, Christ took the two, the Jew and the Gentile, and gave them one identity, the church. The church. The world may say that I belong in a certain place. Love a, may perhaps a certain type of person or hate another. But Christ in me says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish and have everlasting life. And so who am I to pick and select the whosoever? And Paul wrote this. He wrote this out. He, he really wanted them to know this. I, I know people are, in fact, Paul's even saying, I know some of the Jews are telling you this nonsense. And he's writing them going, wait a minute, listen to me. And he wrote that even though we may not, even though you, Gentile, have not, was not born into Israel. He writes this. He writes that when we are in Christ, Israel's history becomes your history. Israel's prophets becomes your prophets. Israel's Messiah is your Messiah. And his return will be for us all. Be for us all. There are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. In fact, Paul says here in Ephesians, he says that when we, in Christ, we have become members of God's household together. There's going to be a very big banquet table when we go see him in heaven. And he has seats for all of us. And when Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, Israel was still practicing the offerings, the old sacrifices, the old offerings found in Leviticus. In fact, there were five types of offerings that the average Jew would participate in almost every year. It'd be something they were quite used to. They would travel. Maybe they would do it at their local synagogue or they would go to Jerusalem. And they would be these five things. They would have a burnt offering, a grain offering, a sin offering, a guilt offering, and then a peace offering. Now, each of the offerings served a specific purpose to reconcile fallen humanity 
back to God. But out of the five, this, this fascinated me, out of the five, there was one that was just slightly different than the others, just a little different. And that was the peace offering. See, the other four offerings that we read in Leviticus were for you, the offerer, you to bring something to the altar and to leave it there on your behalf. It was for you to bring something to be left. However, the peace offering was the only offering where you, the offerer, walked away from the altar with something. With something. So in a peace offering, it would look something like this. You would take your animal with you, your, your sacrifice, and you would bring that to the priest. And then you, the offerer, would lay your hands on the head of the animal. And then you would say, looking at the animal, the life which is about to be surrendered is my life. And then you hand the animal to the priest. And the priest would then take the animal and put it to death. And he would drain the blood of that animal all the way out. The priest would then take the blood that was drained from this animal, the surrendered life, and then he would take some of the flesh from the animal and he would place both of these things on the altar to be burned, a symbol of transformation. If it were any other offering, if it was any of the other four offerings, this is where it would stop. You would leave it and then you would walk away. But here, this is the one extra step in the peace offering. Before it was all burned up, before it was all away, the priest would take some of the remaining meats from the animal. After it was cooked by the fire, he would take it off the altar and then he would turn and he would wrap it and give it back to the offerer. He would hand it back. And then the priest would say, you have been reconciled with God. Now go and reconcile with those who persecute you and hand it back. And it was for the offerer to take that meat and to share it with a brother who's in disagreement to be reconciled. And they would eat together off his offering of reconciliation and break bread. I mean... The ones, the ones listening to Jesus at the Sermon on the Mount on that wonderful day knew exactly what he meant when he told them, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there. Don't take it. Leave it there. And go and be reconciled with your brother. Then bring your gift. This, friends, is exactly, this is exactly what Christ has done for us. Christ was the offerer, the sacrifice, and the priest. You see, Jesus 
offered himself to the Father. He offered himself to the Father. It was he that placed his hands on you and me. He placed his hands and he looked at us and he said, the life surrendered, the life surrendered is my life. And instead of throwing us into the fire, into the flame, Jesus went to the altar on our behalf. His blood was drained. And I'm gonna say, but unlike the other lambs that were discarded, the ones that were, that were, that were left dead and useless and, and lifeless and they just threw in the pile. Unlike the other lambs, this lamb stepped in as the high priest before the Father. And just like the peace offerings of the past, the ones that we read about, the ones they would have known, just like the peace offerings of the past, the Father received this offering of his Son and gave him back to us. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Friends, anyone, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord has been given the right to take from Christ's altar and to share it with those who persecute us. Christ was the peace offering for you and me. And so when we look here, when I read through the scriptures, when I look at Ephesians, when I look at the teachings, what I see is that if we in the church, that's me, if I in the church, if I'm not a peacemaker or a reconciler, then I'm doing it wrong. For Christ has called us to be peacemakers to be reconciled with one another. But I have to say that this type of peace, the one I'm, the one I'm referring to, isn't a compromising truth peace or a people-pleasing peace. That's not what I'm talking about. But instead, his peace is reconciling with someone who the world says you should hate. Anger and hate are tools used by Satan to tear the church apart. To put cracks into our foundation. This is the plan. And so the second chapter of Ephesians is really just about loving people who don't look like you. knowing that through Christ all can be saved. All can sit together and all have a place in the kingdom of God. Amen.
appropriate to say or just to even entertain the thought of where are you right now personally in your hearts and in your own mind that those of us who call Christ King have been saved by his grace I'm going to tell you that the world here right now is designed and structured to try to rip us apart you have to pick this or that just pick Christ pick him pick Christ because through him, through the saving redemption of Jesus Christ, it changes this, the heart. Right now, it's this that we're trying to tackle the world. This is what God wants. It's this. And when he gets a hold of this, you start looking at everybody else, and you just can't help but see brother, sister, Start extending out your arm. It just happens. I wish I could explain it. But when we lean into the saving grace of Jesus, we realize that I should have been the one on the ground. He saved me. Here. And so now, if you struggle, if Satan's playing with you, if he's feeding you with anger, distrust, if he's putting these things in you, then I want you to pray to break that. Let the power of Jesus break that. And we're going to sing this next, this next verse or course, but use that time to break that anger. You know what I'm talking about? That anger. That, 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 that hate. And in unity and peace, be together under the cross.
come before you. The Lord help us be that. But Father, that, that just take our take our heart. Father, we give it to you. If I'm struggling, if, if we're struggling with how to reconcile, how to how to take that that that, that, that hater, that anger, Lord, I just pray that it be broken in the name of Jesus Christ. It's not who you are. Father, help us see people the way you see people. Love people the way you love people, Lord. Not compromising you, not, 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 not no, but Father, true love of the cross. And so Lord, as we walk out today into the world, don't let that take us. Don't let that consume us. But Father, give us the strength and endurance to break through that. That our temple is the temple of the Lord. So God, we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to Refresh. Be sure to hit subscribe and like us on Facebook and YouTube to never miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, be sure to share it with your friends and family. We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless.